Morning. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to reiterate one of the announcements that uh, Josh made earlier this uh, during our service, and that is uh, the, uh, the books out there. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is to put good books in your hands, uh, books that follow along with what we're teaching and the teaching ministry of our church, uh, our Sunday school, our equip, uh, the pulpit. And so we want to encourage you to, uh, to have good books in your hands that deal with the texts that we're dealing with. So you have a limited opportunity to buy these books here at the church. And we're offering to you, them to you at the same cost that, that it cost us to get them. And sometimes we get some pretty good deals. Sometimes we don't get such great deals. But uh, they are pretty convenient for you to have here. So we want to encourage you uh, to <coughs> build up your mind, but also, Lord, uh, to, to build up your, your, your soul, to encourage uh, yourself to pursue Christ in everything. And so we want to uh, uh, point those, those books out to you. As I say, they'll be changing very, pretty soon. Next week is our last week in Daniel. Those of you who are there, we're going to Titus. Well, some of you may still be in Daniel next week and then the next week after that. But Titus is next. And so those commentaries out there are about to change. So if you want Daniel and Ezekiel, you might grab those uh, while they still are available. All right, Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 27, is where we are today. And I've entitled this message, Sexual Immorality, a Matter of the Heart. Sexual Immorality, a Matter of the Heart. Now, one of the aims that I have for this sermon, I tell you, you know, you write and you write and you write and you write and you have all this information that you're reading and, and you're bringing it all together and then when you finish, you know, thinking and writing and everything, you realize you have like a four-hour sermon uh, notes for that. And then you realize your audience, okay? You realize a commitment that we have made as a church and as leaders, shepherds of a church, and that is that our children worship with us. We intentionally do not have children's church. That is with intent. Because we want our children to grow up knowing how to worship. Not in a different way as their parents, but in the same way as their parents. Okay? With that in mind, as a pastor, as one who takes responsibility at the pulpit, what you have to do is you have to make sure of the rating of your sermon when you're dealing with sexual immorality. There's going to be enough in here for parents to go to, to hear questions this afternoon without me bringing everything in that you can gather for a sermon such as this. I want us to consider what Jesus is doing here. Obviously, he has laid out the characteristics of those who are kingdom citizens. He has said that they are blessed. Uh, they find their greatest joy in the living God. 
they are humble. They are meek. They weep over their sins. They're peacemakers. And then he comes out and he says this. You know, they're able to control their anger. They don't hate their brother. And they control the desires, the sexual desires of their life. And that's where we are today. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew this. I didn't know it until this weekend as I was uh, listening to a, a, a sermon. And there is a such thing as the motion picture production code of 1930. Anybody ever heard of that? Well, let me read to you parts of it, okay? Remember, 1930. This is uh, at the time when uh, uh, words were being added to motion pictures, okay? They, they had the audio. They were talking, you know. It wasn't just this frame of people doing this, and all of a sudden some words came up on the black screen, you know. It was actually talking going on. And so uh, the Motion Picture Production Code of 1930 lays out its general principles. Listen to these, if you will. No picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. Correct standards of life, subject only to the requirements of drama and entertainment, shall be presented. Number three, law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed, nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. So it lays out some particular applications. These are general principles. I mean, I've read these and I was kind of like, Boy, they don't, this is out of date, isn't it? You know, 1930. But particular ap applications, crimes against the law, these shall never be presented in such a way as to throw sympathy with the crime as against law and justice or to inspire others with a desire for imitation. How shall they handle sex? The Listen, this is the Motion Picture Production Code of 1930. I'm just reminding you all of what this is. All right. Here's what they say. The sanctity of the institution of marriage and the home shall be upheld. Pictures shall not infer that low forms of sex relationship are the accepted or common thing. I'm going to come back to that later. Matter of fact, to remind myself, I need to do that. Okay. Here's a few other things in here. Adultery, sometimes necessary plot material, must not be explicitly treated or justified or presented attractively. Scenes of passion, they should not be introduced when not essential to the plot. Excessive and lustful kissing, lustful embraces, suggestive postures and gestures are not to be shown. In general, passion should so be treated that these scenes do not stimulate the lower and baser element. 
In other words, we need to make sure that we make motion pictures that do not propel people toward a sinful lifestyle. They felt they had a responsibility. You know, there's something we need to understand. We don't live in 1930 anymore, do we? And it doesn't so much have, uh, have so much to do with the year in which we live as much as it has to do with the lack of restraint that exists in our culture today. And if you want to simply blame the culture, you'd be wrong in doing so because the finger needs to point back to the church as well as not being uh, faithful and pushing back against the tide of evil in our culture. Jesus realized that sexual morality uh, is a, an atrocious sin that has many rippling effects. You know, when we look into the scriptures, we find that uh, every moral list that you find has sexual immorality in it in some way. Uh, one of the texts that was read earlier in the service, Colossians chapter 3, 5, says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then verse 6 says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Sexual immorality is a very serious thing that we should talk about. I mentioned earlier about our children being in here. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again today. If you do not talk to your children about the morals and standards uh, that they should, by which they should live their life, if you don't communicate to them the things that are right and the things that are wrong, if you don't communicate to them a vision and a worldview that lines up with the Word of God, I want you to know there's a whole world of people that will be glad to cast before them a vision that goes against the Word of God. I think it's a very good thing for kids to sit in and listen up. You teenagers, y'all be sure and listen up. I, I want us to see and understand that Jesus takes sexual immorality very, very seriously. I want us to think in these ways today. First of all, I want us to understand that sexual immorality is a matter of the heart. This is what Jesus is driving toward. Secondly, I want us to see that sexual immorality demands intense warfare. Intense warfare. It demands it. Lastly, I want us to see that sexual immorality needs critical accountability. First of all, it's a matter of the heart. Listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, we have the phrase, you have heard that it was said He's talking about the way that this command has been taught. The way that this uh, commandment has been distorted. And now what he is doing is he's putting forward how we should understand 
this commandment of you shall not commit adultery. The commandment against adultery is a very serious. Uh, in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This is a capital offense, according to the law of God. And so we need to understand the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about here and what defines those who are believers in Jesus Christ, those who are kingdom citizens. What defines us? One is that we need to understand that sexual immorality is far away from us. And that's what Jesus is pointing toward. The law had been distorted in ways that led to more sin. That's what the scribes and Pharisees had done throughout the ages. They had uh, interpreted and instructed in regard to adultery uh, in ways that more sin actually was created. Let me tell you a couple of ways that uh, this command was distorted. First, the measure of righteousness was simply, I haven't committed adultery, all right? I mean, that was it. Uh, we talked about that last week with murder, okay? Well, I hadn't killed anybody. Yeah, you know, well, I hadn't committed adultery. It's just kind of like, okay, well, then you're righteous, okay? You hadn't killed anybody and you hadn't committed adultery. You're righteous. And so that's one of the things that we need to understand. They had downgraded the command so much that it only meant one thing. And if you hadn't done that one thing, you're all right. Jesus is making sure that, they, that people understand that's not the case. A second way that uh, uh, the command was applied um, and distorted uh, was applied only to uh, a breach between or with a married person. So uh, a way of a... Uh, avoiding this command was not to be married. Because if you got married, then you could commit adultery. So basically, the only way this could be done is, in other words, no other sexual immorality was included in this. Certainly, adultery was not just talking about that. It was talking about all sexual promiscuity. In other words sexual relations before marriage sexual relations within marriage with someone you're not married to after a divorce sexual relations outside of marriage on that end of life third it was distorted as being used as a means of escaping a charge of adultery. The way of doing that was divorce. In other words, some of the ways that, uh, um, that, the, uh, that the law taught concerning divorce is if you cool toward your wife, okay, if your heart never, no longer burns for her, 
you can divorce her. And if you divorce her, you can't commit adultery, and you can marry another. But you really couldn't. But that's how they interpreted it. In other words, they would use divorce as a means of escaping, and that divorce would cause and create all kinds of issues for the woman who was being cast aside. So Jesus is pointing to the distortions that were made concerning the commandment uh, of adultery. And he eliminates the ability to distort the law by pointing out that adultery occurs in the heart. Adultery occurs within. He says here, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. With lustful intent. To lust is to have a desire and longing for what is not yours to have. Okay? It's a, it's a desire or longing for what is not yours to have. We need to understand that uh, it, this lustful intent involves breaking the second, eighth, and tenth commandments. Breaking the seventh breaks the second, eighth, and tenth. We worship our desires, therefore we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. We steal what is not ours. We covet what does not belong to us. It's a dreadful and multifaceted sin. Jesus is pointing to this is a problem with your heart. And it creates and causes massive destruction. In families, in homes, in churches, in communities. God created marriage for a lifetime. He created it between a man and a woman. Go ahead and get that plug in there. You have to say that nowadays. He created marriage for the purpose. Let me give you a couple. First of all, not good for the man to be alone. Ain't it the truth? I mean, ain't it the truth? I mean, that's the first thing we need to understand. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. He's right. Of course he's right. He's God. You wives know it ain't good for us to be alone. I mean, how many times a day does your husband say, do you know where this is? All the men went, <laughs> and all the women went, yeah. It's not good for us to be alone. We'd never find anything, okay? But it goes beyond that. Understand that the primary reason that God brought marriage together was our desperate need for companionship. The world wants to turn it into something 
dirty. But God intended it because we need companionship. I need that woman back there. I'm pointing to my wife, by the way. (laughs) She knew something like that was coming, I guess. I need her. Man, I, 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 I need her near me. I need her to listen to me. I, she needs me to listen to her. Back when we had COVID, boy, we needed each other more than anything. You know, wandering around the house, getting tubes tangled up. Y'all should have seen it was a it was a wreck, man. I mean, the house was clean because we didn't have anything else to do, but our hoses kept getting tangled up. We needed each other. We need each other every day. I mean, God gave us marriage for that purpose. And we thumb our nose at it through sexual immorality. Secondly, God created marriage for flourishing and fruitfulness and multiplication or procreation. We would bear children and raise them up as disciples. Sexual immorality breaches the boundaries of marriage and causes destruction. You say, yeah, but what if I'm not married? What if I've never been married? It breaches the boundaries of marriage because marriage is within this circle right here. Sex is within this circle of marriage and anything outside of it is sin. Jesus is certainly pointing to something when he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Looks at a woman with lustful intent. You see, he distinguishes between simply looking at a woman and looking at a woman with lustful intent. Can't avoid seeing someone. I just, as I was scanning the the, the audience, I just saw Jatan down here. My eyes passed right by. I can't avoid seeing her. Can't avoid seeing Noah right there. But when you fix your gaze and you begin to uh, uh, think and fantasize in your mind concerning a woman who is not your wife or a man that is not your husband. I want you to know you have moved beyond temptation into fulfilling desire. And it's only happening in your mind and in your heart. And it is sin. We can't avoid being tempted. All right? Let's just go ahead and put that out there. I mean, unless you climb a mountain and you stay up there, and even then, you know, can't avoid temptation. I mean, temptation isn't sin. It says of Jesus, he was tempted in every way. Yet without sin. 
Temptation is everywhere. That wrong desire is where sin occurs. In James chapter 1, James chapter 1, he helps us to see this truth. Verses 14 and 15, he says this. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. It's not temptation that's sin. It's that wrongful desire that is born as you linger and long for and desire that which does not belong to you and that which has been withheld from you. And I want you to know God's not being mean by keeping you away from something that you desire a great deal. That was what uh, uh, happened in the Garden of Eden, by the way. Satan said, hey, guess what? He doesn't want you knowing this. Actually, with the command, he is putting a guard up and he's protecting our soul from hell. That's what he's doing. This wrong desire. David and Bathsheba are probably uh, something that comes to mind anytime you read this text. I mean, David didn't do what he did with the thought that, you know what, I think I'll just destroy everything today. My life will never be the same after today. Oh, well. He wasn't like that. What happened? He walked out there and he was tempted. And what did he do? He acted on the temptation. He let the temptation create a desire that he didn't push away. And instead, he fed it. That temptation led to adultery. That adultery led to deception. That deception led to murder. It's a multifaceted sin that hurts beyond what many of us can comprehend. So, we see that it's a matter of the heart. It's not just between a marriage. It runs deeper than that. It runs into sexual immorality everywhere. And in every way. Notice what it says there in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. I want us to see that the result of ongoing, unchecked, unrepented, unconfessed sexual immorality is certainty in hell. That's what's being said here. And because the results and the consequences are so huge, 
Jesus goes to extreme measures to help us see how serious it is. He gives an illustration twice for effect. Understand the illustration, he gives two examples. One gouges the old eye out, two cut the old hand off, all right? These are extreme examples, but he wants us to get the point, so he gives it to us twice. And what he's pointing to is what really causes your sin. What really is at the depth, at the, at the very center of why you desire as you desire. the real cause of your sin if it's your hand cut it off if it's your eye gouge it out if it's your heart purify it and we know he's talking about the heart because he said it he's already committed adultery with her in his heart the problem is with the heart it's a matter of the heart and that turns us to a place where Jesus is pointing to this demand for intense warfare. Cut it off. Gouge it out. Purify it. Job said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a virgin. Joseph overcame temptation because he had a higher commitment than his desires. In Genesis 39, y'all may recall how Joseph had been placed over Potiphar's house. I mean, he came in and he was thrown, he was imprisoned. By Potiphar. I mean, ultimately, he became second in command of Egypt, but here's this guy sold to Potiphar. Potiphar sees, man, God's with this guy. Everything he does prospers. And jo I mean, with, with Joseph at the head of his house, see, overseeing everything, man, his whole household prospered. And then Potiphar's wife came on to him. Said, lie with me. Joseph said, you know what? My master, he's given me everything. I mean, I'm over things that he doesn't, he doesn't even mess with. But there's one thing that he's kept from me, and that's you. But ultimately, I want you to know what, remember what he said. Joseph said this, how can I sin against God? It wasn't that I'm going to lose all this if I, if, if I do this. It's like, how can I sin against God? He had a greater commitment to the living God than he had to his own desires. And it's that commitment 
that surrender to the living God that is the primer to our uh, intense warfare against sexual sin. You know, as we look back and think about how sexual sin is everywhere. You go back to this motion picture production code of the 1930s. And it says, pictures shall not infer that low forms of sex relationship are the accepted or common thing. Sexual immorality has been going on since the beginning of time. But today it's been normalized. The things we see, the things we hear, it's been normalized. And that's what they want. Normalization. That we as Christians, that the world around us would see all these things as normal. It's just the way it is. Well, we live in 2022. It's a liberated time. Running back to this thought, entertainment no longer has a code, yet we still pay to go see their movies. Yet we pay to bring it into our household. Couldn't imagine going to a park And seeing the things that we see on the movie screen. But we'll go sit in a theater or in our own living room. And just have to kind of watch, oh, pass over it. You know, I'm not going to watch that or I'm going to skip through that or whatever. It's still there. And you still know it's there. So many people talk about, well, you know, put all these things on TV now. There's no guidelines. There's no code. There's nothing that really keeps people from putting things on. One thing we need to be sure is understand, you know what? We don't have to watch it. We don't have to look at it. We don't have to click on it. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We think because it's available, somehow it's okay. No, it's not. It is naive to think that the secular God-hating, sex-driven, violence-promoting, money-loving entertainment industry will take any responsibility to guard your heart from lust. They're not going to do it. You've got to develop the defenses against sexual immorality and temptation. Parents, teach your children that what is seen most of all in this world around us is not normal. And you were not called to be normal. You were called to be different, set apart. All of us as Christians called to be separate. So what's our response? 
We need to put to death sin in us. Going back to Colossians 3, 5. Put to death that which is earthly in you. We need to kill it. Going back to the Puritans, we need to mortify it. Along with the illustrations and the instruction from Jesus, if your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to be without that if it's going to take you to hell. Do you all know what our response to that normally is? Can I do this instead? Hey, Lord, how about I go to church every Sunday? Or I read my Bible more? Or I pray more? How about if I do that instead of gouging out my eye? How about I do that instead of cutting off my hand? No, this is non-negotiable is what Jesus is saying. This sin needs to be put to death. It needs to be killed. We need to have a new mind and a new heart. Purity of the heart is something that has to take place between you and God. One reason that hearts do not get purified is because they are divided. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. But you got a lot of world in you. Yes? No? James says this in chapter 4 of, uh, of his letter. Verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Do you know why? Hearts are not purified because we're double-minded. Because we think in such ways that, well, I can watch this and not do it. I can partake in what the world has to offer and still follow Christ. No, you can't. Because you'll do one or the other, but you won't do both. You'll be enticed by the things of this world to where you will not follow Christ. And that's where Jesus is driving at. If your heart is full of darkness, you will not follow Christ. Single-mindedness. Those who are impure in heart are not single-mindedly thinking. You know, Jesus is actually going to deal with this in the next chapter a little bit. You look at chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, oh, there your heart is also. It doesn't stop there, by the way. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's still not done because now he wants to make the point. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You say, well, that's talking about money. No, it's talking about where your mind is. Lay up treasures in heaven. Yeah, but can't I lay up some treasures on earth? If your eye is good, if it's full of light, that's a good thing. You can't have an eye full of light and an eye full of darkness. Do you know what's being described here? Two eyes pointing in different directions. You ever tried walking like that? I remember getting hit a couple of times playing football and my old eye would kind of stick in like this. That way. And everything be, and I looked at a guy one time and I said, hey, I said, is there something wrong with mine? And he kind of did like that. And he goes, ooh. And it was stuck. I mean, it was stuck just like this. And so I was seeing a couple of different things. He said, you need to go get that checked out. So I ran over to the sideline. I said, hey, doc. And we had a team doctor. And he looked at me and goes, oh. He said, take your helmet off. And I did. He said, how's things look? And I said, I see two of everything. And I said, I wasn't sure which one of you to come up to. And he goes, well, here I am. And I saw two thumbs coming at me, you know. And he said, close your eye. And he did. And he gave it a little poke. And, I, and everything was straight ahead. Single, single sight. Let me tell you something. You can't have one eye on light and one eye on darkness. Because then the light that is in you is nothing but darkness. Jesus is pointing to something. You can't serve your sexual desires that do not align themselves with the Word of God and serve God at the same time. You cannot do it. You can't consistently pursue pornography. You can't consistently pursue uh, other women or other men that are not your husband, that are not your wife. And call yourself a child of God. We have to get these things in check. Let me close. I sent a meme to Gordon and Josh yesterday. Do you know what it means when the preacher is running along and he looks at his watch? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Last thing. We need critical accountability. Can I just say this? Don't wait until you are in a fight or in the middle of sexual immorality, to fight it. You fight it before you get there. Maybe you are watching a movie and some scene comes across 
and you enjoyed it a little too much, and you tell your friend that is also your Bible study partner and he prays for you, you know, I, I saw this and I didn't like what I felt inside of me. He said, I, I, I had a desire that I shouldn't have had. He didn't act on it. He was just tempted. Get it before you're in it. Fight it before you're there. Don't wait. Destroy it in yourself. Don't accept what the world defines as normal. It's not our definition. Now you may be in here today and you may be thinking, you know what, I, I struggle with some of these things. I mean, I'll I weep because I keep going back to it. You may be saying. Blessed are those who mourn, who weep over their sin. The great problem would be is if you don't struggle with it. If you don't weep over it, if it's become normal to you, then you have a problem. Blessed are those who weep, who war, who fight against the temptation and the desires that are stirred by it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit and recognize how desperately you need the cross of Christ. Blessed are you. You know, I keep confessing these sins, you may say. And I keep asking God to forgive me and I keep repenting and I keep turning. Don't stop. Keep doing that. Keep repenting, keep confessing. And God will give you victory. Sexual morality is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the pictures, the movies. It's a matter of what you're allowing to come in to shape. The heart that God has redeemed. Don't let that happen. Kill it. Kill it as soon as it's there. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your redemption, for the blood of Jesus, for the cross. And we want to thank you, God, that you have put in us the fight that is the Holy Spirit against sin in our life. And God, I pray that you would help us as the people of God to stand against the sexual morality that is found in this world, but also, Lord, that which is found in our own heart, the desires, Lord, that are in us. Father, help us to wage war against them. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your great love for us. And Father, uh, we... Uh, are thankful uh, for 
the church and for people around us, Lord, that love us. And do not stand in judgment because of our weaknesses, but stand as a resource of support and love and encouragement to overcome. Father, we love you and we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.